welcome to Spare Pratt. Today we're doing Chris's Choice, which is the 10th Doctor Adventures, Volume 1. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, the 10th Doctor Adventures. Brilliant place! An entirely mechanical planet. Catch, hitch, fuel, fix, buy, pretty much any kind of transportation. In existence. This empire's a massive leap in user-friendly tech. Meadow Digital's ahead of the game on the chipsets. Quadruple core nano circuits and a sleek, sexy designer package. Ultra thin. Look, you're talking, but it's all geek to me. Can we go? Yeah, I suppose. running amok. Donna, we're on. Remain where you are. Bex, grab my hand. Go down there. One of us needs to. And I just can't. Come on, if you're common. Don't want a dislocated shoulder for nothing. Do not run. We require test subjects. Ah, there it is. Vagabond's Reach. Tavern of Taverns. Most feared social environment in the galaxy. You've never been up Sugar Heart on a Tuesday. You don't know everything about me. Ready? Is this the front door? They don't even have bouncers. Yeah, basically, think of them all as bouncers. They fizzled in somehow, like the TARDIS. Yeah, transmit yeah. from another dimension. The, the, the TARDIS doesn't fizzle. It's more of a... And we're very pleased that we've got a special guest this podcast. So I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Kenny Smith. I am possibly known to some of you as the editor of Big Finish's Vortex magazine. I might be known to some others as one of the co-hosts of Pieces of Eighth podcast, that the world's only podcast dedicated purely to the Eighth Doctor. You might know me as one of the co-hosts of The Power of Three, which I've always said was Scotland's leading Doctor Who podcast, but I believe that there may be a rival somewhere on the scene. Absolutely. You might know me as the co-host of the Healthcare Improvement Scotland podcast, or you may know me as having previously been the host of the Scottish Field podcast. But to my friends and family, I'm just Kenny. Hello, everybody. I'm Kenny. Hello, just Kenny. Hello, Kenny. Welcome. Oh, it's Great to have Kenny here. We've been chatting for a while on Twitter about trying to find time when we could all all get together and do this. So it's great that it's this one. And it's great it's this one because you were working with Big Finish at the time. So you, you'll be able to give us a bit of insight into what it was like from the other side when this was announced. But let's go, first of all, to go, Chris, this was your choice. What did you think? Overall, thoroughly enjoyed it. It was nice to hear that Series 4 theme song again for the first time in so so many years. I think when it comes to that fourth series theme song, it really encapsulates the the fun of the the fun manicness of that kind of that time. I kind of build, build, build over the past four, those four years since it came back, and I think it all comes down to that spectacular drums in the background. Um, just goes full heavy metal with that sort of stuff. It was really, really cool. Totally my jam. Hearing the Doctor and Donna together again, it's like they've never never skipped a beat. 
exactly the same, slipped on a little shoe straight away. Really good fun. I quite happily put my money on saying that they, the Doctor and Donna are the best team of Tenants Era. I think they're the perfect comedy double act, foil for each other. And that really comes through mostly in, in, this, in this set. I really enjoy the, the third one, Death and the Queen. I, I tend to agree that the Doctor and Donna is the best pairing, but I partially feel that because I don't think Martha ever got the proper sort of stories I think she deserved because I think Martha and, and Ten could have been amazing. But I do love the humour of uh, the I Doctor. think it's one of the, the leading things I think of that it works so well is because it even the show says it itself, they've taken out kind of this romantic subplot element and just kind of gone back to an almost an original chemistry of the Doctor and his companion who is his friend. There is no love interest. I mean, they make fun of that in a lot of times, especially in the, I think it was the first one, where it's like, oh, are you two? Like, no, 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 absolutely not. And it's almost a run, the, the great running gag of their, their tenure together is that they're, they are just mates. You, what was that bit in the first one? I just want a mate. You just, you just want to mate. Like, <laughs> it's like, no, no, just want a pal. And I, lo- and I love that. It's, it's so pure in that, in that sort of, yeah, just we don't have to have so much. And Doug, Doug you'll probably like that as well. Is that there's no romantic subplot. There's no there's no feelings. There's no emotion with this. Is this just just get on with the fun stuff? Are we talking about the first episode here or the third one? Well, all of them, just in general, the, the set. No yeah. romantic. No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm talking about the Doctor and Don as a pair. In fact, there's, there's no right. there, there's no <laughs> snogging. There's no <laughs> kind of not the stories as a whole. Then <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, I, Doug was way ready to get offended what? and upset there. What? I think we know how this is going to go when Doug has to his piece to say. I, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. Really, really did. I'm going forward to the was it series three when Donna comes back again. And and series three has the benefit of Bernard Cribbins as well. Oh God, yeah, it does it, does doesn't it? Well, what else, Kenny? What's what's your thoughts on it? I'm a huge fan of these. Absolutely love them. And I got, I think it was like October 2015. These were recorded, and I. Got wind that big finish circles that this was happening and very exciting when Nick told me, Oh, yes, it's a goer. And once Big got the new series license, I think it was obvious that David would be the first of the new series doctors to come in, given that he knows Big Finish, he loves Big Finish, and he's friends with a huge number of people there. I think it's, it's a great trio of tales. I think you've, you've had that they've got the perfect format. If you've got three stories, you do exactly what BBC Books did when they started doing the Doctor Who novels. You've got one in the present day, one in the future, one in the past. And it's just such a fantastic mix. I mean, technophobia has got such a brilliant twist in it. And we think that it's the technology that's going wrong. But in fact, it's the people. And I think Matt is an absolute genius for coming up with that. It's very, very, very good. Time Reaver, wonderful story. It's very sad and poignant, the fact that the Time Reaver has and why people actually use it to try and prolong their lives when pretty much they're if not got left. And I just said, Death and the Queen is just James Goss at his absolute best, um, doing a fantastic job. She mentioned, of course, Time Weaver by our fellow Scott, Jenny Colgan, yeah. from Prestwick, but now living in Fife. So that was one of the great things at the time when Jenny started doing her big finish and Doctor Who novels. I was working on the Ayrshire Post as the editor. And because she was from Prestwick, it gave us a great chance to get some Doctor Who content into the paper. And it was fantastic. Derek Ritchie, of course, who was producing some of the Capaldi episodes, and uh, he was another boy from, from Trin. And I used to know him in the Glasgow Doctor Who group many, many moons ago. But no, it's a great set. I mean, one of my favourite things, I've just actually 
called up with the vortex issue that I did. We did 10 pages on this as a preview at the time. And I spoke to Russell about it, Russell T. And he was really, really excited to hear these because it was the first time that he was listening to the Doctor and Donna, where he hadn't overseen every single word and knew what was coming. So they'd run the storylines past them and he didn't know what was coming next. And he absolutely loved them, which is fantastic. It's so much fun, the fact that he loved listening to these. And then, of course, as we all know, he's come back and he's written his own three, which will probably be a nice steelbook box set at some point in the very, very near future. Hopefully in time for Christmas. No, in short, loved it. I think it's it's a great mix. I love the Dr. Donner relationship. Howard Carter's music sounds brilliant. Um, I think it's an, a great cast. Nikki Wardley, of course, being a good pal of Catherine Tate, coming in for the first one, Technophobia. And they've got some good bands as she plays Bex with an X. And yeah, I just think it's a fantastic trio. And if anybody disagrees, then you're going to get a long, hard death stare. Joe, are you getting a long, hard death stare? I'm not. Oh. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm not. But it was when you said about the, the sound, it is it is really good. But there are two points in both these where I was like, I actually have no idea what's happened. And I kept having to go back. And I don't know whether it's my hearing, but in Time You're Reaver, what, sorry? In Time Reaver, it says when Donna is trying to comfort the, the girl who's lost her dad, she says, oh, I miss my dad. Do you know what the last words were? And she says something like, give, us, give up your stash Utable something or other, and it's just gone, and they never refer to it again. I've no stash idea what weapons. Just... What was it? Stash of weapons. It was your stash of weapons. Was that what it was? You don't understand it. You couldn't. Your brain wouldn't comprehend it because she was basically telling Cora to give up the her stash. Ah, that would about the, right. What the, that was really, what? really struggling with with some but of I that. I can understand why you couldn't work out what she was saying because it wouldn't make any sense at all. Well, yeah, and the start of Death to the Queen as well, the bit where you know, I, I am the Queen, and it's like you're talking to her, I can't even remember now what it says, but again, I had to go and turn it right up to, to hear it. So there was like a couple of bits that I was kind of struggling. I wonder if it's actually just my speakers when it comes down to it. But I, I, was, think, um, I was listening to the last, the third episode, the, the Death and the Queen one in the car, and the volume does, the David Tennant's particularly bad for shouting a lot and then speaking quite quiet. Yeah. Try to make out the quiet bits when you're trying not to deafen yourself in the loud bits. You're forever twiddling the. I think, I think that yeah, it might it might be me and my ears. <laughs> say, it's all those years of being a rock star, Joe. You've you've ruined your hearing with all these heavy rock. Bits. I think it doesn't help. Well, I definitely my right side hearing isn't as good, so it it could well be something to do with that. But I absolutely love the stories. I would say Death of the Queen would be my most favourite, and Technophobia my second favorite and time weaver probably least mostly because of the unnecessary screaming and that's to do with my hearing again but <laughs> i absolutely love donna and i do like that it's just a, a just a good friendship they can poke fun at each other and there's just it really it reminded me how much fun you can have with doctor who i've had a lot of i want to rewatch at the moment and we've just with my daughter who's now decided that she's she's in the doctor who so we're on a new who rewatch and we've just got rid of rose and donna noble has just <laughs> it's quite violent there was no tears i think she's she's definitely hard nut to my my kid and we're straight on to donna noble so it was really good time i think as well i really like the names in these we have Cognoscenti and Mephistols and I can't remember the other ones now. There was a few that I just thought, I don't know, it just seems like it's 
They're coming on the news, though, aren't they? Well, yeah, (laughs) but I I don't know. I quite enjoyed that. This is supposed to be sci fi entertainment, in my view, and it was. So that was good. I liked Bex with an X, and she's a half horn blower, so that's good. And not through Holby City, although she was in Holby City. I mean, yeah, usually that's giveaway. It's usually a Holby City. Usually it's a Holby City, but it was actually a My Family. So direct with Robert Lindsay, Admiral Pellew, all horn blowers. So that's a win. I couldn't really find any other ones. I was kind of scraping, I think, a bit for the rest. And and I loved the Lucky Pants reference as well, which is in <laughs> Death the Queen. I think that's about it. So yeah. All have Lucky Pants at a wedding. Oh, and oh, and Time, time Reaver, Touch My Suckers, I thought was... Mm, that's pretty grim. <laughs> a, bit, a bit too visual for my liking. Last year, when Paul McGann was in Bowness for the Bowness Silent Film Festival at the Hippodrome called Hipfest, I got an interview with him through my old job at Scottish Field. So went through, or I was getting ready to head through and speak to him because I was going to drop my wife off at the airport as she was flying down to her folks. And just when we were channel hopping, we were just getting ready to go and see Paul McGann. On came Hornblower and there was the man himself. And I just thought, yeah, everything is meant to be. It's time for Paul McGann. Literally. I'm going to see him in two hours in the flesh. And it made me laugh. I just thought, yeah, everything is Doctor Who wherever I go. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's he's great. He's a direct hit hornblower and Doctor Who, oh, just fabulous. Doug, you're the person who I think it's fair to say out of all of us has the least sort of love for this era. I wasn't much of a fan of Catherine Tate before she joined the show. So that wasn't exactly boding well, I thought. And then when you mentioned Donna was in this, I thought, oh, crikey, here we go. But I remember that I did actually quite grow to like Donna on the telly program, and I enjoyed the. I think Donna's the best bit of all three of these, to be honest with you, and the fact that she can cut the Doctor down with many, 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 many phrases. Uh, what was just a couple of them? That, what was it? The oh yeah, she helps them in the community. Things like that, something along those lines, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Donna was the highlight of all these. Joe didn't think I'd be saying that. I'm sure. Well, you surprised us a few times with these things. Yeah. Yeah, well, I go into them low expectations and sometimes they live up to them and other times <laughs> I enjoy them. So I think I think my favourite favorite line, there is a few actually, but the favourite one is the giant cloud of alien death, which I'm going to try and co-opt into my normal conversation. I think that's a good one. I like the fact that Donna gets mother-in-law, played by the Borg Queen, of course. Yeah, that's right. But <laughs> it was. So I suppose let's let's sort of have a little chat through each of them individually then. We'll start with Technophobia by Matt Fitton, who is, and I'm sure I've said it before, I think he's I think he's one of the best writers on Big Finish. Certainly the most consistent one. Him and John Dorney, for me, are the two probably most consistent writers. There's lots of great writers, but if you see their name on a story, it's always going to be top-notch. I'm not going to disagree because they're both my friends. But I, I do <laughs> no, completely agree with every single word said there. I think that they're the, the two most prolific Big Finish writers. And the fact that nothing that they write is ever less than an, than a 7 out of 10, if you wanted to give a number, attach them to them, or even you could say an 8 out of 10. So I'd say that's quite an achievement, considering the amount of work that they do, because John in particular is always trying to top himself on what he's done before. And Matt just knows Doctor Who. You know, he knows how to tell a story in each era. He's a, such a fan. He knows what works. He knows what will please us. What will, you know, what will hit our fan-pleasing buttons because it'll hit his own. And what he does is just top-notch timing again. And yeah, cannot disagree with that. And I think that it's such a good strong set. I found it really hard. I genuinely couldn't pick 
are our favourite. And that's not just because they're my pals, but it's genuinely, I think they're all such good stories. I think they did a great job of capturing that era, which isn't always easy coming back to it. Because I think I mentioned before we started recording, I remember the trailer for this coming out and I remember thinking and saying to my other half, who's a huge fan as well, David Tennant didn't quite sound right. And I thought the same when we heard the first trailer with Christopher Eccleston, it didn't quite sound like I remembered them sounding. And then as soon as I listened to the set, that never even came into my head. It was just 100% this is the Doctor and Donna. But it, I don't know whether it was just I hadn't heard them for a while, so hearing new stuff from them felt a little alien. But it must be quite difficult to capture that type of thing. I mean, there was a very much a, like a very visual sort of time in Doctor, where you kind of like everyone's, their movements very much are part of the characters. The, you know, David Tennant dashing around, jumping from side of the screen to side of the screen. Kind of, again, as you say, it's quite hard to get across an audio. But for me, when, I first, when they first started speaking, Nah, it was just, it was just, that was the TARDIS team as, as it had always been, as if there'd been no time had been missed. What I'd say about what was really good about this, this story was this forward thinking like, in terms of the material about it. Because what was it? It was what, done in 2015, you say, Kenny. And yes. it could have, this could have been come out this year. You know, the, how technology has been so integrated in everyone's lives that it could might actually be dumbing us down to a certain degree. Definitely dumbing you down, Chris. Oh, well, it's TikTok for the 7,000th time. It's all right. Stuart just said he felt a little alien. I think you're right, Chris. What, was it the pating or an adipose? I mean, the great thing about this is I get to edit it, so none of this stuff ever stays in. All the negative <laughs> Chris stuff will stay in. All the stuff about me is just out of spite. <laughs> it, it was interesting for me about this story. I thought in some ways it was quite a standard Doctor Who story. It didn't really feel like it did anything amazing, but it was really nicely written. It was really nicely put together. It didn't break any boundaries, but it didn't need to. It was a great way to reintroduce two characters we'd not seen in a while. And the pacing was perfect as well. Normally, sometimes I find with big finishes is that it can go 100 miles a minute for the first 20 minutes and then kind of maybe slow this slow right down and then last five minutes, five to 10 minutes, oh, quick wrap up and we're off home for tea. But this one just, again, pacing was just perfect. I mean, it feels like a season opener with Russell T, doesn't yeah. it? It's got that sort of, it's not in your face. It's not all action. It's, 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 got some, it's got some great ideas and it's fun and it gets you hooked and draws you in. And I think that was what Matt intended to do. And for me, it absolutely feels like that sort of Smith and Jones kind of story, contemporary setting, characters we recognise and this everyday stuff becoming a menace, whether it's like weight loss pills or just that sort of, you know, Russell T kind of opener feel for the partners in crime. Do you think, because you, you obviously know Matt and you know how Big Finish work a bit better than we do, do you think they went into this almost trying to channel that kind of Russell style? Oh, definitely. I think, it, I mean, it'd be madness not to. It was hugely popular. Why would you try to change what's an established winning formula? And I'm pretty sure that that was what Matt's intention was, just to try and write something in that vein. And uh, I think he absolutely succeeded. I'm just checking my notes and very much, I'm sure that was... Yeah, that's very much what we do, just to get that feel of how Russell would have done it. And it's very much, very much hits all those buttons for me. I mean, Bex with an X is very similar to Linda with a Y. So I was assuming that that was kind of a, a little nod to that. Yeah, I'm just thinking, as Matt was saying, we decided to do something similar to the way they did things with the TV series. The first one was going to be a story set in contemporary London with a strange threat. So it was similar to a series opener of the era. The second story would be set in outer space with something weird, wonderful and alien. And the third story would be something possibly historical or a bit more emotional and based in Earth. So, yeah, there we go. Broken down perfectly. Oh, the guest cast. Rachel Sterling. 
I mean, let's be honest, Diana Riggs' daughter, and here she is before she, in fact, just after she's been on the telly, hasn't she? No, it would be before. This would be before, before the Crimson Horror. And, oh, she's wonderful. Just somebody who's sort of just going to pieces, gives a great performance, and she sounds very like her mum as Diana Riggs, as uh, Emma Peel at times. Yeah, had you, had you recognised that, Chris? Because I know you're a big fan of... Yeah. I did. I was just kind of thought, like, oh, hang on. It's, it's one of those always that thing when you listen to audiobooks or just like people speaking in general where they can't see their face. Like there's certain ways of speaking. Like, I know that. I know that voice. Where is it coming from? And then you go check through the notes and like, ah, no way. Everything seemed to come together really well. And I guess there was a lot riding on this. So I guess this was, was this, no, this wouldn't have been quite the first new who released at Big Finish had done. I think they'd done a unit one before that. They did something. Units had come out, yep, and I think Tales of New Earth, I think, had been out around this time as well. Yeah, although that didn't that didn't really have any of the main cast in it, did it? Tales no. of New Earth. But yeah, Unit had been the the biggie, and I think the first couple of volumes of River had been out as well at this point. So, but it was certainly the first time we'd seen a new series Doctor. Yes, or, or the first time we'd seen one played by the actor, because I think I think going back, certainly there's a reference to Christopher Eccleston's Doctor in one of the monthly ranges. The Kingmaker. Yes. Where it refers to chat with big ears in a leather jacket, which Gary Russell didn't realise at the time and it slipped through and it shouldn't have. Is that Nev Fountain? It was Nev. It was Nev, yeah, being cheeky. <laughs> that kind of explains it. No, it's great. Great starting place. So that then went on to Time Reaper by Jenny T. Colgan, who, as we've discussed, is a, is a fellow Scott, but is probably best known to a lot of people as a kind of soft romance sort of humour writer. Don't, don't call them the romantic comedies. She likes the term romantic comedy, rom-com. You see, I took that from Wikipedia. I read... Don't believe everything you read on Wikipedia, Stuart. Damn it. She's written some good Doctor Who stuff, though. There we go. Did that, did that help? Without a doubt. Particularly her novel. Her, the fact that she did Doctor and Donna novel around this time as well, which tied in with these. And it was nice just to get that old team back in the, in the routine. And I love it. Love it. I think she's, she absolutely nails Donna's character to a T. I think the fact that she's got that... Um, Jenny's a very funny writer at the best of times, and I think Donna is the perfect character for her to sort of put that sass and attitude and quick-wittedness into. And yeah, loved it. Absolutely loved it. This one had a lot of heart to it as well, at the same time as kind of like, you see quite a lot of Donna's nurturing side coming through with Cora, trying to make sure that she's okay with, instead of spoilers for anyone who hasn't heard this, out in podcast land, Cora's father ends up taking his own life to save everyone. and keeping checking in making sure she's okay and you know just the whole how these time weaver things work I mean who'd have thought Davros would have done that I know I think as well given that she's someone who's best known for say a totally different genre she's written the most sci-fi of concepts it's a really nice concept playing around with time and doing something that I know Doctor Who tries often not to just play around with time too much so I think it was a really interesting piece from that respect I think out of all the three out of the three stories this is my favorite setting because i think it does a, what the audio did really well is to kind of capture the sound of this world and in my head i'm imagining something akin to fifth element um, in terms of a massive city as flying cars similar to oh pricky what's it called star wars coruscant that's the one yeah coruscant meets fifth element that sort of thing yeah i think that it is a great setting but doug you're you're kind of like me, you're a big sci-fi fan. Did you enjoy the sort of sci-fi element to this? Yeah, it was probably the of the three, the one I enjoyed least, I guess. I don't know why. Gully the octopus as the baddie definitely sounded like Ian Edmonton to me. 
or Vivian from the Young Ones, maybe rather than Aidy Edmondson. Because it was it was quite a strong cast of Doctor Who sort of alumni. It may well be. They all knew who people. To no. be honest, I've not looked at the names to see who. Terry Malloy. Davros himself. Davros was the father. Who was Dan Starkey playing? I don't recognise his voice. He was the voice of the busker. Oh, just the busker, was he? Dorn. Yeah, big puppy. And Dorn, I immediately thought of you, Doug, and like, oh, oh, oh. He's waiting, he's like, is this some comedy Sontar in a busking uniform? I imagine Mr. Boom on the Moon, but a dumpling. That's such a good reference for Scottish people, but I don't think anybody outside of here will get that reference at all. It's brilliant. <laughs> we have a very small, loyal fan base of people that live in Ellen. <laughs> oh, come on. Let's push it. Let's go the other way. Let's go a wee bit more into the other side of Gordon and just go for it. Let's get some Inverurian contour listeners. I'm sure my family up there will be delighted to listen in, even though they know nothing about Doctor Who. Useless bit of trivia for you. Back in my last week in the Inverurian advertiser, um, we got a press release from Gordon District Council to say they were launching a new Stone Circle trail from Easter Aquarthies. And they were getting the guy who was presenting a TV astrology kind of series up to open it. And that person was Peter Davison. So on my last week in my first job, my leaving present was to interview Peter Davison. And I absolutely loved it. I mentioned this to Janet Fielding uh, at Gallifrey. And she was like, what? He's never mentioned this before. So I think he's been taking a ribbing for being the new Mystic Meg, as he was being billed at the time. So there you go. Doctor Who has been to Thainstone House Hotel. Fabulous. That's where I got married. There we go. Well, by Peter Davidson. By Peter Davidson, funnily enough. He's a well-known celebrant. And because the, the Easter Aquarthies and everything is mentioned in uh, Andrew Smith's Big Finish story. Yep. Yes. Vengeance of the Stones. Andy's quite a, he's a regular. He goes up to, to Port Soy quite a lot in the summer. Home of Ian Jess, of course, Scotland's probably greatest footballer of the 90s. And uh, yeah, he's uh, Andy was regular up there and uh, he wrote some of it while sitting on the recumbent stone on his iPad. So there you go, writing on location. Andy's a good pal, so I know all these things. It's brilliant. Got a huge amount of time for, for Andrew. He is, he's a, he's a lovely guy. And it's fascinating to have places that we recognise and we know in that story. It's a great story. And of course, it does have a prequel, as in a big finish short trip. It does, yeah. Yes, of course, with uh, Eighth Doctor, I think, isn't it? Funnily enough, yes, you can hear all about it in Pieces of Eight. Plug, plug, might as well get the, get the gratuitous plugs in. Absolutely. If I can't plug in another Doctor Who podcast, what can I plug on? No, uh, yes, that's right, I'd forgotten. I'd forgotten about that one. It's one you'd probably quite like, Doug, short trip based in Stone Circles of Aberdeenshire. With, um, it's a, sorry, it's not a short trip, it's part of, Joe's heard it, it's part of the... Destiny of the Doctors. Destiny of the Doctor. Oh, is that the, yes, I'm... I purchased that just last week. You'll enjoy that. Back to Time Reaver. So yeah, interesting concept. It led into, am I right in saying it led into the silence in the library? Yes, that was the plan. It was to set it up so it's sort of, they're talking about books and stuff. And yeah, very much that was Jenny's plan. So it was going to be set in the, was it touted to be on the same planet, the library, or is it a case of a different planet in orbit? Oh, different planet entirely. It's just sort of in the events leading up, sort of like it's the immediate previous adventure, but not. Ooh. Not is is subtle but not blatant. Yep, I even got the reference. I chuffed with myself. It's for a Doctor Who story that was out recently, which references the library as well, and the, and how the Vastonarada got there. Yes, it was. It's Red Darkness from the latest set of Ninth Doctor Adventures. Yes, I think that's what it was. We'll go on to Death and the Queen by James Goss. James Goss is also a pretty good safe pair of hands. That's the thing about Big Finish. There's a lot of writers who are really good pairs of hands and you know as soon as you see them, you'll enjoy the story. You might It might not be your absolute favourite, but it might. You just don't know. But 
it's it's not going to be bad. And Dr. James Goss is, is one of those. I think this was probably my favourite one out of all of them, just because the the level of banter and the level of just like good, like honest fun, and at the same time as being really funny, it also kind of sh- really showed the Doctor up in a lot a lot of the time when he goes up, even the like, case of point, he goes up to confront Death. Like, ah, yes, you're after me. He's like, well, no, I'm not actually. Oh, 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 shit, oh, shit. I guess not. Wrong again. Similar to how in the day of the Doctor, he got to get shown up quite a few times. I'm the Doctor, and you're just a rabbit. Bugger. Good old Donna brings them back down to it with her pithy comments. Absolutely. You should. Has Donna appeared in any of these 8th of March episodes yet? Because I think she'd be by far and away the best person to feature in one of them. No, but she's got her own series. Has she? Yeah. Well, I think they've only done one box set of it so far. That's correct, yep. Be nice to see more. Donna Noble kidnapped. Well, she she does, in, in all three of these, she gets a lot more to do as a companion than some of them do, even in my big finish are quite good for all the companions getting a good good go at the story. But, you know, as I think Joe mentioned, you know, she's empathetic with the the people she's working with and the, the, the death one. It's the, the maids who dress her and whatever. It's Bex with an X and it's, it's in the, thir- the, the third one, isn't it? So, yeah, I, I, yeah she, she gets a nice variety of bits and pieces to cover, not just giving the Doctor a hard time and getting her one-liners in there. Yeah, because especially in this one, she really kind of her character comes under the microscope quite a lot. In that, given like so much responsibility of being, oh, you're the princess, you're the queen, you're gonna have this. You these these are your people, and she genuinely takes them as to be her people and tries to be responsible. Does she actually for them. get to become a queen in this? I was trying to think because she she's she's married and then she has to dance with death. But there's not a coronation. Does she become the queen when she gets married? She doesn't actually marry the guy in the end, does she? Because death walks in. I think she's yeah she's 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 married to death via. But death isn't the king. That sounds like an awful fate being married to death. Don't tell my wife I said that. Going <laughs> to marry you over and over until you die. I'm going to marry you to death. Oh God! But she's not a queen then, is she? I don't think she technically becomes a queen yeah. at any point. I don't think they get time to do the coronation. Are we? Are we? Are we complaining about the title here? Are we saying that the, the title is no, death to the the apparent? Sorry. Just mentioning it in passing because she talks a lot about being the queen, but she's not actually a queen until surely she's married to the king. And that's where the fun comes in because she just becomes, she just takes over and just tells everyone, like, you know, shows them up, shows, shows up royalty. She's Queen Temp, quite literally. I would say that uh, I think Beth Chalmers is the one who comes across as the, the regal person in that, as the maid. Oh, she's wonderful, isn't she? Beth is just yeah. superb in everything. She really brings that kind of loathing of that sort of character, that sort of personality. Did a really, really good job. For those of you who, who don't know, which is going to be everyone except me and Kenny, probably, Beth Chalmers plays the Seventh Doctor's companion that never was. Rain Creevy. Rain Creevy, who was a companion they were going to do had the show not been cancelled. So she's in the Lost Stories. And she is, she's great in that. She's a great character and Beth is a brilliant actress with a beautiful voice. She's got a sort of, if you haven't heard her voice, she's a bit more like, she's quite like a sort of like a posh Kathy Gale, Honor Blackman kind of sound, that sort of slight husky quality to her voice. And yeah, don't mess with her. She's, she does boxing and stuff. In fact, she was skiing last week because I spoke to her last Friday and she, I could honestly, I could listen to her read a phone book. It's just wonderful. Good sense of humour. And as we were saying earlier, half Scottish on her father's side. Does she do the Kathy Gale for the Avengers? 
they've only done one Kathy Gale and which was Too Many Targets, an adaptation of the novel. That's right. By John Peel and Dave Rogers. And she plays her in that and she's just just perfect. That's what I thought. Yeah, she does that does seem like a good a good fit. This is something I got a little confused about. Is this a historical or is it set on a different planet? Which I this is what I thought it was. It's a pocket reality. Is it or is it a, a, a Wakanda sort of situation? That's a sort of pocket reality, Wakanda. Yeah, that's that's a good analogy, actually. Yeah, yeah, because it's the whole invisible dome thing. But I would have expected maybe at the end of the episode to kind of have a nod to kind of where on the planet this is actually set. Because it's almost near, like Frenchish. Is it one of the smaller countries that never were or got swallowed up through time? Not that sort of thing. But like, yeah. Because it says the doctor gives a little, he's going at, um, oh, General, what's her face? Oh, damn it. Hortense. Hortense, that was it. I missed the T. Yeah, so she's going to give Napoleon a run for his money, which I quite liked, which was like, but made me wonder, like, where is this set? Probably my only major criticism, and it's not even a major one, it's just a, I can't quite place it. I've got another Scottish connection for you with this one. Not only have we got the half Scottish Beth Chalmers, another member of the cast is half Scottish and his dad's an Oscar winner or at least Academy Award nominated Alan Cox is of course the son of Brian not the physicist and he's the spitting image of his dad is quite uncanny it's very 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 strange because you look at it and think yeah that's Hannibal Lecter as he was in Manhunter it's very very creepy just to think whoa genetics are a funny thing there we go there's your little bit driven he plays dead nature is lazy that's what that's it nature is just lazy you've got the same faces all over the place just because yeah i, li- I like the fact you thought young you thought young hannibal i was thinking the young bob servant yeah that's that works too that definitely works i say that i couldn't spot any horn blurs in this one but alice was in sharp's honor in 1994 and that's the kind of like Land-based hornblower. I'm <laughs> sure. Blower. I'm sure. Hashtag uh, tenuous. Sean Bean would be uh, would be most impressed. <laughs> There's no ships in this. I am I right in saying that actually Paul McGann was meant to be sharp? He broke his ankle playing football. Yeah, I think he actually filmed. They started filming with him, then he broke his ankle and had to be replaced. So he could have been Alec Trevelyan in Goldeneye. Oh wow! Good grief! Good yeah. God! If he hadn't been playing football and broke his ankle, he would have different career. I mean, well, he's not done bad for himself anyway, to be fair. Oh, so, so hang on, well, hang on, hang on. Does, does that mean there's there's a reality out there where Sean Bean plays the Eighth Doctor? No, it means there's a reality in there in which Paul McGann plays Boromir. But it does get really tenuous, but it, it, in Sharp, which Alice was in, Michael Byrne was also in Sharp. Michael Byrne was in Hornblower. So, like a quarter so hornblower. It's, it's it's like a quarter. It's like a. Mm, I, 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 it's probably just a stage too far. But it's it's just a new face, so it's it's good. A new sub 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 category. I do actually have a little Excel spreadsheet here. We should we should have a little, little like kind of sound that comes up hornblower or something like that. We just <laughs> that sounds like the Jimbo and the Jet Set theme. Hornblower. Do 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 do. Did a bit, yeah. Hornblower. <laughs> do, do, no, stop now. I keep thinking I'll get some of the theme tune to just to sort of pipe in just just when it's when it's hornblower time. It's always hornblower time. Always hornblower it's, time. Oh, oh yeah, I'll, I'll even give you in voiceover mode. It's always hornblower time. 
Go back to the, the stories, I suppose. Yeah, actually, so why, why are we here? Well, there's a couple of good quotes from Donna in this one. Yes. Are you going to ruin all my weddings to the Doctor? And there's a Stormzilla out there. Those were the two words from the episode, I think, for me. I mean, yeah, there was some, I think across this whole set, and I guess that's what we are now, we're talking about the whole set again. Across this whole set, it just felt a really good capturing of, of that time period of Doctor Who. And it's just lovely to hear, to hear Donna again and to that kind of time period when Doctor Who was like the biggest thing on the planet, you know, as opposed to now where it is amongst a certain group of people. It also felt like people weren't quite so nasty in Doctor Who fandom as they are. <laughs> yes, I, I think it's maybe because Twitter wasn't as big a thing then. Possibly. It is a bit of a pit. Really quite weird. I mean, I made a comment about, I can't even remember what it was, and it wasn't anything... I would say particularly provoking. You, you know me, I'm not going to go out to deliberately antagonise people. But someone just attacked me and just said, well, what do, what do you know? Look at your hair. Makes me want to vomit. And I'm like, wow, you pissed in your Cocoa Pops. It was just like, what a weird thing to say to someone. When I was, <laughs> it looks all right to me. It's not bad. I think it was blue in it or something. I don't know. It was just really bizarre. It's got nothing to do with the conversation. So yeah, Twitter... It seems to be a horrible place and people can't seem to get away from it either. Yeah. No, but the answer to that is my dad's bigger than your dad's and that will sort them out. So. Oh, I should have done that. I just, I just ignored That's them. That's the level of mature I, debate you I tend to I figured that was the best. I just thought, I'm just not going to reply to this. There's no, no way I'm coming out of this looking good. Just come back with like, oh, my pot of tea is better than your pot of tea. Oh, I had <laughs> some of that recently with somebody insisting that the um, McGann TV series had been plotted and instead decommissioned class. And it's absolute hogwash. I'm being polite because I know I'd, I've asked Stephen Moffat and Denise Paul about it in the course of doing podcasts and interviews. And somebody's mm. saying, prove it. That, well, here's the interview with Moffat. You could, that proves I spoke to him. Here's the podcast with Denise that proves I spoke to her. Do I need to prove anything more? Yeah, where's the answer to the questions? Don't <laughs> make. But I'm telling you that there's the proof that I spoke. But it's just this person then says, love just texted Moffat and it was true. It's like, hi, right. Come back to something when you've got the contacts to prove it. There's so many people and they're just desperately trying to make a name for themselves and get followers and say, oh, I was right, I told you first. And that, yes, speculation you've grabbed off forums, grow up 12-year-olds or probably 22-year-olds. Internet's rubbish. Apart from finding podcasts. Apart from finding podcasts. Spare Pratt's pieces of eight, wherever you find your podcast. So this, the one after this is 10th Doctor and Billy Piper, is that right? Yep. I think second one. That's volume two. And then the third one is a return to the team with as we said earlier, the great Bernard Cribbins. Mm-hmm. And then there's the 10th Doctor and River Song set. And then there's the Dalek Universe set. I think that's maybe... And of- Doubt of Time. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah, and that and that. Yeah, but he's, so, so he's, yeah, he's went on to do quite a few things after this. And it's lovely to see him. Although I don't think there's anything else apart from the 60th on the horizon just now. So uh, Classic Companions as well. Oh, yes, of course. Class- I enjoyed Classic Companions. It'd be nice to get him back on something else. I think we got very lucky with David Tennant, though, which was, we got very lucky with David Tennant. We had a global pandemic, which meant he couldn't work. <laughs> we were able to lock him in a room and just make him record day after day. Called Stage, isn't it? Oh, I really enjoyed Stage, actually. But they got Peter Cabaldi at that point then as well. He's just not interested, though, as you said, I guess. I, I think it's just a bit soon for him. I think, you know, soon a lot of other things. And I think, I don't know whether being the Doctor maybe soured him a little more on it than than some of the others, because I think he got a particularly hard time. I mean, maybe not anything compared to what Jodie Whittaker got. Did he? Well, he wasn't David Tennant after all, was he? Well, I think that's it. He came after two incredibly popular Doctors, and I think 
Well, I think you might be right because I see Matt Smith as quite a similar, you know, very fast talking, whatever doctor, very similar to the 10th doctor. 10th is 11th, or I think quite similar. And both of which are sort of Tom Bakerish in a way, if you go back to a similar doctor in the past. Well, that's how I've viewed it, but just a bit more manic and fast talking than Tom. And then Peter Capaldi was a sort of completely different type of doctor. He was older as well, I guess. So not so, not so good for the, the female fans out there. Maybe he had more in common with Colin because he's slightly grumpy. This is, I think it's a big similarity there. You're going from a younger doctor in a big anniversary special and everybody loves the show. And then within you know, the next incarnation, things are not as popular and people don't like the new doctor as much. Wrongly, in both cases, when they're both fascinating characters with a lot to, to see and to be developed. So I've always thought that was a, an interesting parallel. Well, I think every time there's a new Doctor, people don't take to them straight away. Well, I think you, there's that cycle of, oh, this is I'm not sure about this guy or girl, and then you go to love them, and then it's time for them to go, and you're not ready, and then a new one comes along. I think that I don't know. That's quite. Well, that's... I that was quite normal. I, I really, I did start with Capaldi, and 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 I thought I'm not, I'm not sure. I wasn't quite ready, just like I never am. And by the end, I was just like, I, I really do love this character. I like the fact he doesn't hug anyone because Stuart knows that hugging is not a thing I particularly enjoy. So I quite like the fact that he was just like, get off me, you wide-eyed lady. <laughs> Leave me alone. Like that. Loved it. I mean, he was much more a John Pertwee type than mm-hmm. Baker type, I would say. There was def- I think that was probably why he met John Pertwee, didn't he? Back when he was a kid and stuff, there's photographs of him. wonder who found those. Is that you, is it? It was me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a there's a fascinating book out which is worth a read. I assume you've read it, Keith. Keith Miller. Is, there's two volumes of it. It's very very good. Yes. It's really. I've, good. I've got both of them, but it's fascinating when you hear him talk about this guy he hates called Peter Capaldi. Doctor Who does go in, in cycles, and some some you like, some you don't. And I think that when you've got a show that a few, you know is out going out to so many millions of people, not everyone's going to like the changes when you make them. Yeah, what I always find quite fascinating when it comes to this sort of bit is that um, a lot of kind of my young my younger friends who maybe grew up with the tenant era just stopped even but even before Matt Smith it's like oh it's, that's that's the doctor I follow that's the one I want to stick with and I try and you try you try and coach them to come no try Matt Smith try Peter Capaldi because you might find something in them that is doctorish and I always seem to find it's not the show that they've kind of enjoyed it's it's him as an actor and him his his character's interpretation of it it's quite disheartening sometimes it's like no just stick with it it's actually like listen to the writing listen, listen to the stories this is the the funness of the show and people just like not nah, pretty skinny man please I, I think as well though there's a certain time in your life which if you connect with doctor who it stays with you and i think that's part of it as well i mean there, there is like such a passion for david tennant's doctor i mean there's a really like when folks say like that may be like the one doctor they had that was the one time that was four, five years ago. That was the only thing they cared about. Then when he left, you mean the alien that looks more like he works in menswear? I mean, I'll be honest. I, I circa two thousand five to two thousand ten, I wore Converse almost every single day. My hair was quiffy. I had sideburns. Yeah, I was trying, but then I just didn't have the chin. Does your TARDIS fizzle in? That's a very personal question. I don't think you should be asking him that in the public, forum. sir. Yeah, tenant. He's a hugely important Doctor, though, for keeping Doctor Who going. Well, he's the longest-serving Doctor 
of the new who era, surely, isn't he? Mm. Given that he had just a bunch of... I know it was Matt Smith was doing all the specials over an extended no. period, wasn't he? Isn't it Capaldi, actually? Because he took mm. a year... Again, it depends on how... how well, I'm thinking how many, seasons, how many series... How many stories did I mean, do? technically, if you're going to go for the longest-serving Doctor that's been in the modern era, you're going to go Peter Davison because he snuck in a couple of times. Peter Davison? Tom Baker's surely the one with the longest... Oh, I forgot Tom Baker yeah. was in it. Although Tom Baker was 10 years ago that he was in it, whereas Peter Davison... I'm not talking about from the first time they appeared to the last. I'm talking about number of appearances as the Doctor in, you know, over... Uh, consistently the character. Well, they were the Doctor. Well, yeah, I think he's done the most episodes, but the most episodes of a classic Doctor will be Davison, because he did Time Crash, and then he did the, Dalek, the last Dalek one. I can't remember his name. Power of the Doctor. The, well, the Power of the Doc. Power of the Doctor. That's the one, yeah. But w- would, you, would you class that, though? Because it was a, kind of a mishmash hologram. And can you recount that as being yeah, he was the dog? Yeah, depends how we're classifying this year. No, he was on set. That's all that matters. <laughs> it was lovely. It was a lovely moment. It's wonderful to see him. I mean, no, it doesn't quite beat the moment when he meets David Tennant in Time Crash, where he has to try and explain why he looked older. Still love that. Still watch. Still go back to that this, to this day. Such a good bit. So yeah, Joe, you enjoyed your trip back to Tenth Doctor. I did. Well, more Donna. I think Donna's one of my favourite characters. So. Yeah, it felt very lovely and fresh, and I really enjoyed listening to all of them. Yeah, I, I, I can say, I think I remember going into it thinking, I'm not sure this will capture it, and I think it captured it. I think it really did. It, yeah. it, it, it really good I think the, the first one was the best one, but, and I think the reason I think that is because I think that they were sort of, you know, it was the first time they got together to record it. And if you listen to the extras, you know, they said that, you know, they were ad libbing some of the stuff about relationships and stuff, but I think. You just get that a bit of extra buzz because it's the first time they've been playing the characters for, I guess it was about eight or nine years at that point. Yeah. You, can, you can genuinely tell that Catherine Tate and David Tennant are mates mm. in real life. And that really does come across in a lot of their just kind of general banter. And that's what makes you enjoy it more as well because if you know they're having fun, then you're having fun, and which makes the, the ups and downs of these episodes when they come, you know, the emotional highs, the and then the emotional lows they kind of hit a bit more because I think was what's a comedy is a tragedy plus time that's one of my favourite yeah. quotes about stuff comedy is just a tragedy plus time and that's very much how not timing no no t- plus time plus time wibbly wobbly timey wimey tragedy that's the weirdest step song I've ever heard you know, so it's really weird because I've been listening to steps Louis Th- no Louis Theroux totally not steps <laughs> and he was talking about that with one of the people he was interviewing and he said, yeah, it was tragedy. No, comment off him. You said it better. And so, yeah, that's the second time I've heard that recently. I can't think where I picked that up from. It, Louis Theroux, possibly. It, 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 might, it, it might have been, but you know, it's it it one of those, I think it, was some, it wasn't Louis Theroux, but it was somewhere else. But anyway, yeah, that's kind of what I feel with the Doctor and Donna because as much fun as you're having there in the moment, you know, there's always the back of your mind. I think we've said this before about the impetus of, you know, they're always going to come out of this on top. You know, there's no, there's no kind of situation that you know that they're, oh, this is going to be life-threatening because you know where this is going. But then again, you do know where this is going and because we've seen it and it's yeah. Donna having to leave the TARDIS in such a emotionally wrecking way. So you remember that. I can't remember how she it, left the TARDIS because it's so long ago. Oh, it's still raw oh, for me. Oh, dude. I was in, in, ter- in terms of finales, like one Maybe of the things I, I always remember, it. one of the things I always remember about is, is watching Doomsday and Rose going for the first time and thinking that was the most emotional I've ever going to feel in my life. No. Uh-uh. Nope. When Donna left, fuck me. 
was I in yeah. bits. I was in actual tears. You invest much more in it than I do, obviously. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in tears at Doctor Who. I only, I only, like, true Maybe when Joe Grant story, left when I was 10. True story, I only ever cry at Doctor Who. I was listening to podcast by Toby Haydock this week, and he was talking about Companions Exit and the, the most tragic and the saddest ones. And he pointed something out, which I hadn't occurred to me, which is that, yes, what happens to Donna is tragic. But it's not the first time that's happened. It's exactly what happens to Zoe and Jamie in that their mind gets wiped and they don't remember their adventures with the Doctor and they're just put back into their own lives. And it's interesting. It never feels as tragic when you think about it then as you do mm. about Donna. And I wonder, I think some of that is the conversation the Doctor has with Will. Yeah. Afterwards, where Will talks about how much travelling with the Doctor changed Donna and how she was a better person for it and now she she was going to lose that and yeah. I think that's part of it and I think that's something that Russell T Davies does extremely well is write that kind of kitchen sink drama but also Bernard Cribbins can make you cry just with a snap of a fingers and a little sad face as well so I mean but let's not take it away from what Catherine Tate was doing her whole piece as she knows what's going to happen is is Really, I mean, just wonderful acting, and yeah, I was in buckets, and I still hate it. And I, but it's also it makes you feel something amazing. So I'm kind of glad that they did that, but at the same time, I really wish they hadn't. But if they hadn't, she'd be, still be there and probably more annoying. And how else was it going to be? I don't know. It, it's, it's that thing is yeah. we'd leave the doctor by choice. But then, but then Martha, because think... oh. she rocks. Yes, yeah, Martha, she, she chose. That's the point. Martha I like that. The one who... I thought that was a good leave. One of the things I think with 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 Catherine Tate's exit as well, it does lead into the end of times kind of finale as well. When you got that again, this leads into the story we listened to today as well. Is that this is Donna's second attempt at a wedding, and then but then the, the doctor even says like, oh, I'll, I might turn up at the next one, and that could just be a throwaway line. But then you you know as the audience, you're like he does turn up to the third wedding, and it's his his death, and then Will's mm-hmm. got that. Oh, there's that wonderful, wonderful line of I borrowed a quid off a really lovely man, Jeffrey Noble, his name was. And that, for me, was just, oh, buckets. Uh, again, another bucket of tears. I mean, I mean, you could you could argue that's quite manipulative, to be fair on the audience, but it does yeah. work very well. It worked. It worked. And I'm, ha- I'm happy, sad for it. It is kind of a, a golden age. It's a, it's a moment in which Doctor Who was incredibly popular again. And... The writing was just spot on and nobody knew. I mean, following Matt Smith had a lot to do following David Tennant and he, he could only do it by doing what he did, which was being, by being the same but different. Yeah, completely different aspect. I mean, what, uh, I will, I kind of think Matt Smith plays a better doctor in terms of writing, the, writing a really solid divide between the kind of the classic style and new style, whereas David Tennant very much was the, act, just the action hero, action nerd. Which at the end that just captured the zeitgeist of the mid the end of the two thousands. I'm pretty. I, I don't know if I said this before, but I am pretty sure that Doctor Who set standard fa- fashions of standards for that period of time. Because I don't remember as many skinny cool kids in Converse being so popular. The whole geek chic thing came out of Doctor Who being so popular. I hope you enjoyed that one, Chris. And is your choice? Yeah, thank you very much. I'm glad I, Good glad I chose it. I did well. Sounds like, though, everybody pretty much enjoyed that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really, really loved I did that like one. It, yeah. I was chuffed with that. 
Well done, Chris. What was the last one you chose, Jubilee? Two, two quite good ones from you. Yeah. yeah. Good choosing. Good choosing. So uh, Doug's going to have to come up with a good one now. I mean... Well, you see, I want to I do the first Doctor. It's the first and second Doctor. Well, it's a second... What was it? Second Doctor story that crashes into a first Doctor story. So we've had the third Doctor and the second together, and we'd have the second and the first. It's the Daughter of the Gods. It's making a noise. That must mean there's another time machine out there. It's another police box. Hold on, everybody. Coming soon from Big Finish Productions. Doctor Who, The Early Adventures. Daughter of the Gods. Uh, Hold tight, my dear. Grab hold of the ship. What is happening? But it can't be. Doctor? Doctor, what's wrong? I'm going to be your pilot, apparently. My name is... Stephen Taylor. My name is Katerina. Doctor, she still thinks she's dead. Our enemies are upon us. You must leave the planet before it is too late. This is the Chancellor of the planet Urbinia. What is your purpose? Extermination! Daleks! Finish. We love stories. People of Armenia, listen to me. This is the Doctor. The Doctor? Of course. But why can't I remember? Well, thank you very much, Kenny, for taking the time out with us. And it's been lovely to speak to you. And sorry we went off on ridiculous tangents. Nothing wrong with that. We would love to have you back at some point. We'd love to be back. In fact, we'd love to have you back and to choose one next time. So we'll, we'll have to get that done. That sounds good. Happy um, to. Right. Well, thank you to everyone. And we will be back soon. Cheers, Bye. everyone. Bye-bye. And I, ha- wait, I just want to say, I don't think I've been wrong this week. No. Or this month. 